John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats should share with any who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and gather the wheat in his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. Do you remember the last time you witnessed a baptism? Do you remember the feeling in the room? The feeling in you? When the life of the one before you was rejoiced over? Though my relationship to baptism and baptismal theologies and practices at points in Christian history has been fraught, The experience of witnessing the personhood of a new life, often for us, an infant child, as with Hugh back there, and making collective prayers for their well-being is powerful. Maybe you also experience that moment when the room becomes transformed. It's like internal Christmas lights are turned on. Suddenly we remember the prayers made for our well-being. We stand mirroring back and forth to one another the holy we carry. The holy entrusted to this place for as long as our lives are given. The holy we make prayers to honor and protect and care for. This is who we are, God-bearers, children of God, to be honored, protected, and cared for. When tragedy happens, 
we rack our minds with why. Why did this thing happen? What did I do wrong? What lesson do I need to learn? As if we were the cause, or God was the cause. In the novel, The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien, as if we are lost in a mind of swirling wise, O'Brien tells Vietnam War stories. War stories that are not really about war. He writes, I'm skimming across the surface of my own history, moving fast, riding the mouth beneath the blades, doing loops and spins, and when I take a leap into the dark, and come down 30 years later, I realize it is as Tim trying to save Timmy's life with a story. This is what I imagine the ancients are also trying to do. The books of the prophet Zephaniah and of Luke were written in times of war and devastation. The fall of Judah to Babylon in Zephaniah, and in Luke, the siege of Jerusalem and burning of the Second Temple during the First Jewish-Roman War. And though you wouldn't know it, just by hearing the selection from Zephaniah this morning, the entire book, with the exception of our reading, describes the annihilation of all life. While it is imagined to have happened at the hand of God, and can be read as very clinical, X happened as prescribed by God, when I read the words of Zephaniah, I can't escape the loss of the people who wrote these words. Hear what they describe as I read to you now from the first chapter of Zephaniah. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, says God. I will sweep away humans and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. I will make the wicked stumble. I will cut off humanity from the face of the earth, says God. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The descriptions of what happened continue to get more detailed, more specific from there, until just before our reading in chapter 3. The people have been brought low, and they begin to imagine, perhaps now, now that they have been fully humbled, their punishment might be over. And there might be a time when they will no longer have to live afraid. It's awful. Not only the war, the death, but the wise have done a number on them. As if there was something right, something necessary in them facing devastation. Something ordained by God. As if there was some clear answer of where to place the blame to begin with. O'Brien's work illustrates the ways we continue to search for blame. He writes, When a man died, there had to be blame. Jimmy Cross understood this. You could blame the war. 
You could blame the idiots who made the war. You could blame Kiowa for going to it. You could blame the rain. You could blame the river. You could blame the field, the mud, the climate. You could blame the enemy. You could blame the mortar rounds. You could blame the people who were too lazy to read a newspaper, who were bored by the daily body counts, who switched channels at the mention of politics. You could blame whole nations. You could blame God. You could blame the munitions makers or Karl's, Karl Marx or a trick of fate of an old man in Omaha who forgot to vote. Like the people in Zephaniah, the prophetic voice of the Baptist John has also not been fully liberated from the thinking that any destruction the people might be facing is clearly their own fault. Oh, you thought you were safe as the progeny of Abraham. Think again. God is ready with an axe at the trunk of any of you fruitless trees. One thing is clear. Our ancestors were unafraid of a good old come-to-Jesus moment. It is satisfying to imagine a group being called out for their arrogance. Turns out, brood of vipers is what Christian Jews used to call the Gentiles. You thought they were the brood of vipers. Think again. But to know what the people were facing in Luke's time was the devastating power of Rome, the Jewish rebellious spirit quieted, and the loss of their temple makes me want to offer them a break from the self-blame wrapped up as God's righteous judgment. Somehow, mixed together with this theology of a pedagogical God, a God who is there to teach us lessons through making us suffer, not always the most helpful theology, but mixed together with it is a persistence to look for where God might be and how God might still be for us. If God is still for us, we can still stand with ourselves. When the temple fell, the people reimagined where God might be, no longer contained in a temple. Maybe God is in God's name. Maybe God is in the words of scripture, when everything has been stripped away and we are left with nothing but the ground of our own being. Even still, we imagine God being there for, for us, carried within us, carried within Sean and Alicia as Joseph and Mary, carried within baby June as Jesus, carried within the shepherds and the sheep, the donkey and the unicorn named Ella, with lobsters and octopuses, carried within the wise ones and angels and stars, carried within Herod, misguided though he was, carried within the storytellers and gathered ones who listen and watch with joyful anticipation. Over and over again, we tell our stories. Over and over again, our ancestors told their war stories. War stories that really weren't about war, but about love. 
love for who they were as children of God, love that they somehow internalized enough that they could push back against the self-blame, against the unhelpful lessons. How could it be that God would not still be there for them? It wasn't possible. It isn't possible. The truth we recognize in baptism remains the truth when tragedy happens. This is who we are. God-bearers, children of God, to be honored, protected, and cared for. We remember the prayers God made in us for our well-being. Standing on the ground of our being, we mirror back and forth to one another the holy we carry, the holy entrusted to this place. For as long as our lives are given, the holy we make prayers to honor and protect and care for. In the midst of the dark, internal Christmas lights have been turned on. Praise be. Amen.